Hello and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, this is another part of the Dread X collection, collection, the collection of episodes where we talk about the Dread X collection, which has basically been most of the podcasts for the last, uh, I don't know, a few months. We've been making games like Mad People and there's just more people that we want to talk to because they keep making games for us, which is cool. It's good for you guys because you get some insight into, uh, how we make these things, uh, lots of rants about the state of the gaming industry, but you know, you get to, you get to hear it from people stuck in the middle of it. So, uh. You know, great, great insight for all of you out there looking to uh, have future careers complaining about things on the Internet, which is actually any person under the age of 20. That's their, that's their dream job. So anyways, um, this is part of the, the third collection of Dreadx collection collections uh, where we go over the developers uh, for the Dreadx collection three coming out in October. Uh, I think we'll probably have announced the release date by the time this goes live, but I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth, especially since Star's right here and she'll get mad at me if I say something wrong. So I'm just going to keep it vague for now. Uh, hopefully we'll have uh, the announcement link in the uh, description below. But uh, yeah, so we got a good one today. Uh, we have Amon. Amon26 is how you'll know him on uh, Twitter or the other things he's done, but he just prefers to go by Amon. Uh, and uh, he made Betagree. Uh, a new kind of hotel horror cutesy simulator thing, uh, which we'll get into all about in the in the meat of the episode. So, uh, if you're you know a fan of the previous episodes that we've done, if you're a fan of the games, then you're definitely going to want to tune into this one and all the previous episodes, uh, which you probably already are because it's probably on a playlist and you're probably on a treadmill right now or lulling yourself to sleep with my dulcet tones. And uh, so, just you know, sit back, relax, and DJ, why don't you go ahead and drop that sick. I'm doing good. How about you? Um, I'm okay. I mean, we're in the middle of the crunch time for this, so like, oh, I'm well. only twenty percent a person right now. The other eighty percent is like automated functions. So I'm yeah. pleasantly frazzled. Yeah, um, no, I feel like it feels like you're a machine at some points. Like, because you're you you wake up, you do work, you go to sleep, you wake up, do work, go to sleep. Like, there's no downtime. <laughs> me or in or you or all of us or what? Our, I was gonna say both you and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am a machine, as Brett Kreishner would say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, this is like the point where I'm basically, a a, a robot designed to try to pump out video games. So showering has been on the back burner. So I feel bad when I go in to hug somebody lately, but it's just been like, you know, all right, I'm a hot mess, but you know why? Come on, bring it in. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I tell you, I'm down from like once a week to like once every three weeks. Oh bad. no. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, um, I still get one in like once a week. I'm I'm good with that. But like, yeah, it's still like every now and again I'll move around and I'll go like, oh, what's this? Oh no, it's so. <laughs> yeah, on a you you will reach the next level of transcendent work machine once you get mm. a plastic case for your phone that lets you text in the shower. No, no, I will not do that. Uh -uh. <laughs> I, I I have times where people cannot touch me, and shower is that time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I have the plastic. Uh, I have the plastic phone case, so uh, 
you know, there have been several times where I'm talking to like Star or someone. She's like, okay, can you do a call? I'm like, I can't. I'm per presently in the shower. And she's like, you are right now in the shower texting me. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I haven't done a crunch like this in quite a while. So um, it's it's been fun, actually. Um, like the, the way that the energy's been going is like, yes, my hair is on fire. And like I get done and like I can't speak English. I'm still using underscores where spaces should be because I'm in code mode. But mm -hmm. like um, I, I don't feel like I need to rock back and forth when I'm done. It's like a it's pressure, but it's not like brutal. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I guess I get what you mean. Like the crunch at this time is is like very, very stress inducing, but it's also like, first off, it's crunch for you. Like, we're, we're, each of the people making games for the Dragon's Collection is making their game, you know? So it's like, oh, I, I'm crunching on my project. So it's, you know, you, there's some ownership to it. It's not like you're just another cog in the EA's graphical slave mines, like, just, like, harvesting those bits. Um, right. But uh, at, the, and at the same time, like, you know, we don't crunch for super long. Like, it's maybe a week or two of crunch, which is... Fine. Uh, the problem with a lot of industry crunch is like when it's like months and months of crunch. Like I think CD Projekt Red has now just announced that they're now a crunch-based economy. Like their whole the whole economy of Poland is now based on crunch. That's a so weird they, feeling. Like they just, sorry, they just lied a lot. Like they they keep saying this or that, and then they just like keep redacting it. You know, they need to stick to it. Sorry. I, I have a very good friend in Poland, and uh, she was telling me that her theory that um, the uh, Polish economy is like propped up by CD Projekt Red. And uh, she like sent me like a little graph where she's like, look, like you can actually see the the the, the down spike. And yeah, I, she just she just sent it to me. But uh, it's it's like the the overall like GDP of the the oh, it's it's the 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 value of the Zhuadi to the dollar goes down whenever CD Projekt Red's not doing well. I'll, I'll actually like. Here, let me just paste it real quick into the, the Discord chat. I have a lot of things to talk about with this. This this is like bringing up a huge issue with like big big companies, how they affect indie companies, um, how they make the standards for the industry, and everybody has to follow them. How much like CD Projekt Red does have a huge impact in Poland on like every single developer in Poland because they also um, they're the only ones that can afford to send people to America and to do big things in America. So Polish people want to have, like if you're a Polish developer wanting to have something to do with America, usually it has something to do with like CD Projekt Red. Yeah. You're involved. Well, the, and the, so, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah go ahead. I was going to say, they, they have such a huge impact. And so they need to set like a better example, not just for their own company, uh, because they are setting the standards for how like Polish developers are supposed to live their lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you can see from that graph, the, the 30th is, is, is like, or the, you know, they, they announced that they would be crunching and then the economy immediately took a nosedive. Like you can see it right there. That's their that's their stock market index. Like mm -hmm. that's the whole, that's not that's not just CD Projekt Red's value. That is the whole Polish stock market. Oh no. Yeah, <laughs> it's like crazy. <laughs> it took like a, a a rather considerable dive. I mean, I'm not talking about like 20% of the economy dive. I'm talking about like maybe 2%. But the fact that like one video game company can like cause that kind of a fundamental shift in their it stock market. It went down from 430 to 420, so that's kind of cool. I mean, that's got to be worth something, right? <laughs> oh, my God. They were just trying to level impressive. it out, you know? When they're you, when you crunch, you got to chill, and there's no better time to chill than 420. <laughs> like, how, how much of America's uh, economy do you think is propped up by, like, Disney? I mean, Oof. 
I, I mean, I don't how many people? How many people was AMC willing to sacrifice to like, you know, get Tenant out? Like a lot. <laughs> I think. Like they were doing like ten cent video uh, movies opening day, mid pandemic. I don't really know exactly wow. how much it was to go see Tenant. Um, my Polish friends all got to go see it because um, the rest of the world has dealt with the coronavirus better than us, so they can go do things again. Whereas uh, apparently our country is just about to collapse. So, although our right. country, I don't know, Emma, are you in, in the United States or are you Canadian? I'm American. Mm. Yep. Okay, that's my thought. My, my condolences. That's okay. I'm in Michigan, so like, just a yeah. stone throw from uh, <laughs> from Canada. Which part of Michigan? Up uh, southern southern part of Michigan. Wasn't there a famous? Isn't there a famous politician from Michigan? What's his name? Um, man, I don't know. Oh, um, there's um, Gerald Ford. Isn't isn't that where Mitt Romney is? Is in Michigan? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of live under a rock, so. Uh, first of all, Mitt Romney. Who cares about Mitt Romney in 2020? <laughs> yeah, I, also, is, also, is Ross Perot still alive? What's he Ross doing? Perot. Ross Perot. We never hear about Ross Perot anymore. I, yeah, I knew about him in the 90s when I was at yeah. elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like uh, kind of about the same age-ish-esque. Mm. I think maybe. I I'm know. 34. Uh, I'm 34. Okay, yeah. No, I'm 38. Uh, oh. For the whole year, I thought I was turning 39 this birthday. And then I realized months before that I was actually turning 38. And that was a great feeling. <laughs> okay, so I just looked it up. Mitt Romney is was a senator from Utah and mm. the governor of Massachusetts, which sounds like okay. Michigan. But he was born in Detroit, so which is how I say Detroit. Detroit. Yes. Like, that, I love, like, have you ever I'm been to Detroit? Detroit? That's like, I'm from California. Why would I know about Midwestern states? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Who lives there other than Dave Chappelle? That's the only one I yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, have you ever been to Detroit? I have. Good. I love that place. It is, uh, it is the ship that will not sink. And the people who are there are, are amazing. I mean, you hear about like all these really scary stories about Detroit and like how it's rough and it's been through bad stuff. And there's always bad things happening to it. But like, if you actually go there, um, it, it has this weird positivity like somebody who's got a bloody nose and a broken collarbone and they're still getting up and they're still going to it and um i I don't know i think i've had more fun in detroit than than anywhere it's uh you got to be careful obviously just don't be foolish about where you're going but like i i've never felt threatened in you know detroit yeah Yeah, the only problem is that the androids there are starting to gain sentience. So mm. that's a problem. Mm-hmm. They're starting to riot. The uh, G, <laughs> the uh, GM building looks like something straight out of RoboCop. So every time <laughs> I go to Detroit, I gotta go to the RoboCop building. That makes sense. Yeah, I um, I, I but I will say that yeah, Detroit is nowhere near as bad as it is uh, portrayed in films. Although Baltimore is just as bad as it's portrayed in movies and films. I've and never TV. been to Baltimore. Uh, yeah, it's it's very Baltimore. I've been to uh, Silver Springs. I don't even know what that is. It's, like it's in Maryland. You what? I like Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grand Rapids, that's where I live right now. And it's like a weird Looney Tunes place. It's like California 
California, if they took like like the Bay Area, shrunk it way down, and filtered it through the mind of like Dutch Calvinist money. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's not bad. It's just weirdly, I don't know. Yeah, I, if you like beer, I mean, this place is great. But I'm not a huge beer fan, so like, it's yeah, it's a it's a very nice place. It makes you soft, but it's nice. There's nothing wrong with being soft. No, no, there is not. <laughs> I'm I'm a big old actually I'm I'm really not soft at all. I'm probably one of the most like I'm very very friendly to the people that I work with, but I'm also like. Not a very soft person in like my personal life. Anyways, let's go ahead and move past all of my uh, personal demons and uh, start talking about video games and stuff. Uh, so, Star, cool. did you want to talk about how crunch will destroy the industry? <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about like more of the dynamic of uh, how these bigger companies like I don't know. It's really strange because you know a lot of these companies that come from like small teams and everything everyone's like really close-knit and they're like yeah we want to be family but then there's a point where you're just like well we want to make more money so what is it family or money and so usually they choose money because you know they're like well money's help families so that makes more sense yeah <laughs> focus on the money and obviously like poland had poland was not expecting to be you know for cd project red to do what it does right like they were not expecting the witcher to be to what it was you know right um and, yeah and to so i feel like and since there wasn't a lot of other people to look to as a standard, like they're just kind of like, okay, we're just going to do a thing and then see what happens. And I think that they may have gotten some sort of at some point, like a consultant from like EA or one of these other big companies or somebody must have come in and done their company to make it look more like the U.S. AAA companies. And I feel like that has not been good for them. Like, I don't feel like it fits with the Polish culture that well. Um, and it does affect like every single studio in Poland because they, we have like several companies to fall on in America. You know, like we don't have just one standard. We have several companies that are like a pillar for us here. So, you know, it's not really a big deal if, uh, if a game, if Bethesda makes one game that doesn't do well, it's not really a big deal. But if like CD Projekt Red does a game that doesn't do well, that affects all of the Polish game dev community because they fund a lot of the stuff that happens in that community like they're a big like uh like you wouldn't know this unless you worked in the industry but like if you go to pax west for example they have a whole like polish house party and it's a it's basically a party where you drink vodka eat sausages and pierogies uh and this little lady takes pictures of you she's really cute and it's like one of the best parties ever but basically the polish developers are being like you know we throw good parties we have amazing games they have a whole part of the convention floor space is just Polish games and CD Projekt Red's like helps facilitate all of that. Mm-hmm. So if, if they, so basically everyone wants them to do well because they're just so important. But at the same time, you know, when they do stuff like this, like, like not caring about the developers. And my problem with this is like, if you're not a developer, like you don't understand what crunch is like, like you think it's like working a eight hour shift at like a, I don't know, retail or, or fast food restaurant, but it's not the same like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, you, you have to do a lot more creativity. It's a lot more mental capacity than like, um, you know, other jobs where you just kind of like go in, do your job and go home. But like game dev, it sticks with you long after the hour, you know, long after you go home. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm just getting mad at people think it's OK. <laughs> I mean, so and that's the thing that's funny about people that are talking about like CD Projekt Red as though it's as though it's because like, people still have this perception that it's like the underdog. 
Like it's it's yeah. really it's really not. They, uh, CD Projekt Red has over eleven hundred employees. Like yeah, it's definitely yeah. the overdog now. Yeah, it, it's. I don't know if there's a term for that. The it's, overdog, it, I like that. Yeah, I mean they make good games, which is why they kind of like get away with a lot of the, sh- the stuff they do. But like, <laughs> like he, they're not they're not the little guy. They um <laughs> they they have like all the money in the world, and um. You know, and that's the funny thing, too, is that, like, the Polish game scene is actually huge now. I've talked about this before on previous yeah. podcasts. But, like, Bloober Team, um, like, has over 100 employees. And they own, like, a number of other smaller studios. Like, that's that's kind of how the, the Polish yeah. industry works, is that, like, one of these big studios will own these subsidiaries. Like, um, so those those Vampire, the Masquerade visual novels have been coming out lately, like Coteries of New York and uh, freaking a couple of the other ones. They're made by Draw Distance, which Bloober Team owns a third of. And they also own uh, Feardemic, which is, like, coming out with a number of horror games. So, like, a lot of the times these smaller indie Polish studios are propped up by bigger money, which is, like, actually how most indie studios work, is they're usually propped up by some interest with more money. Yeah, people think that, like, oh, I'll just make a game, put it on Steam, and then I'll make money. And it... (laughs) hardly anybody makes money from just game sales, right? Like, they, that's why microtransactions are a thing. Uh, I mean, game sales do matter, but, you know, it's also the merch, like the merch deals you have with the big companies like Sanchi or Fangamer or Limited Run. Uh, like, because a lot of developers that are famous, you played their games before, you wouldn't know it, but they're hurting for money. Like, mm-hmm. they're not actually making a lot of money. Maybe they made a little bit of money, but, like, Steam takes 30% of your money. Taxes take a ton of your money. Uh, I, I was talking to Stardew Valley developer Eric, um, and yes, he made a huge game of Stardew Valley, and yes, he made most of it by himself, uh, but he did have a little help from Chucklefish. But, you know, he was just complaining about how, like, he had almost, like, not as much left because he had all these taxes he had to pay to Seattle, where he lived, mm-hmm. so, as a small business owner, so, <laughs> like, it's Unrelated. a business... I think I drunkenly emailed him once, like, "Hey, you should you should make a Stardew Valley game where you're a necromancer and you grow skeletons." Is that? He didn't get back to me. <laughs> Is that a game called Gravekeeper? That's like that. Graveyard Keeper, yeah. Yeah, but Graveyard Keeper was kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> super unrelated, but Jess, I like how there's just a little bit of echo on your mic because every time you chime in, it sounds like you're like. You know, adding your two cents in from the hallway down the way, and uh, it's it makes it fantastic. <laughs> I've actually, I've actually got a second smaller head attached to my neck. Um, oh, oh, yeah. you got that procedure? Okay, nope. I, I, I read uh, yeah. that the other day. The one from uh, who's that guy in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? The guy uh, Zapod Beeblebrox. Thank you. Yeah, I got that yeah. done. Um, we got the same brain, so we're in sync, though. Oh, good, good, very good. So yeah. it's like you cloned your brain. Although I will say every once in a while an indie game does just explode, explode like Phasmophobia. It has almost 5,000 Steam reviews. It came out 12 days ago. Apparently it's just the biggest thing ever. I literally have no idea how I've had staying power. Like I have frankly avoided um, the industry side of games intentionally for quite a while. And um, I put stuff out on itch. And every now and again, I'll do that. Um, it all comes out of my own pocket. And, like, I really don't deal with the industry much at all anymore. Um, and I, I don't really make a whole lot of money. 
Um, but I still get a whole bunch of feedback and people writing me saying, like, I just played your game. And it's like a 10 year old game. And I'm like, who are you? Thank you. But who are you? Like, what? Wow. Um, so, like, I don't know if you're if you're looking at breaking into the games industry for finance uh, and and being making this a career, it's very, very hard. Like uh, uh, you and Star and everyone has, has said. Um, but if you just kind of take this in, like being like some kind of um, like village idiot that just happens to make cool stuff every now and again, um, it can be really rewarding. Um, but having having the right kind of eyes to, to, to take it on in that way is is hard. It can be very hard. I think it can be rewarding if you are part of the industry, too, like in your area, there's actually a studio called Finji in Grand mm-hmm. Rapids. And uh, Finji has done super well. They did a game called Cannonball like 10 years ago. That one of what was it called? Cannonball. They made Cannonball and they're here. Yeah. Adam Saltzman. Yeah, Adam Saltzman and Becca Saltzman are both. No fun. Finji is now a huge company. They did, they did Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. They did Overland. And all of these are like, these games won, like, Night in the Woods won, like, IGDF, like, Game of the Year. Like, that game was huge. Also super successful. So right. that's, that's a company in your same city uh, yeah. that is doing super well in the industry. And, like, but they're doing it the right way. Like, they're not just, like, telling developers what to do. Like, they're letting developers, or they're also doing Chicory, which is going to come out soon, like, the drawing dog game. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they really know how to work with developers to get like the best out of the developers to make like kind of the best like human stories. And so like they're a good hybrid of a publisher developer that I really look up to. Interesting. Uh, You can do it, but it is a ton of work. And like some people are just not built for business. Like some people just want to be artists. And no, I Yeah, yeah, I have horrible business sense. I mean, literally the way I got involved into uh, the Dread X collection is I just messaged. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I messaged Ted and I said, uh, yeah, can I just be part of this? And, um, no, that's fine. I'm fine with up. people knowing how I hired you. Okay. Yeah, I, I just kind of ran in like a coyote where you left the door open. I was like, hi, it's me. Uh, I want to be part of the next collection. Didn't even know if there was one. Um, I just liked it so much. I thought it looked like a whole like bunch of fun and it was really in my wheelhouse. And I thought, well, I mean, the worst case scenario, they'll they'll say no and I'll keep going. And um, it works. I, uh, in just two simpering uh, tweets to Yoko Taro, I got him to follow the TreadX account. Which yeah, is I mean, like, the only uh, uh, thing of uh, substance uh, I've done for the, for the website. Um, yeah, a lot of my connections is just me being allowed to say hi to somebody and then just like saying whatever I want to to them. And, you know, I don't have anything bad to say. So, and then it goes from there. Um, so like i i was lucky but i was also that that's the result of me for years just going up to people and going hi i like what you're doing can i help and um seeing where that goes i just want to say that you are lucky because like literally uh like right after probably you chimed in and wanted to get in i had about five other developers that came up to me and and ted that were like hey can we be part of the collection and <laughs> like or you know too full sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I am lucky. You I am just very, got very lucky. Right on time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I just uh, I kind of run into things and I just see what happens and go from there. So yeah. yeah, it has been a lot of fun working on this, though. Yay! 
Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, that's our main goal is to like yeah. give developers a place where they're like they can finish a project and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever finished a project and felt burnt out from it. Like, if if the project isn't working, um, I usually I'll talk with the client and I'll work around it. And like, if I literally have no more juice left, then I have no more juice left. Like, you can't pay me, you know. Um, but at the same time, I have a very, it, it takes a while for me to get to that point, but, um, nothing ever comes out of my door that, um, I was not absolutely psyched to have complete. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good way to go about it. It's just, I think that a, a lot of times people get caught up in the fact that we only have so much time on this planet and we want to accomplish as much as possible. So it's like, <laughs> just keep trying to work past their own Oof. emotional expiration date. Yeah. Yeah. That can get scorching. You know, there was a period of time where I realized that I was working on video games for literally two years straight. Um, like whatever I was doing, I was working on video games. If I had company over, I was working on a game. If I had, uh, if I was, out on a date, I was still working on a game. And at the end of it, I like hated working on games. And um, it was kind of a rough period for me. And I had to redo my relationship with um, creating altogether. Um, mm-hmm. Like I um, it was at, um, not Gary Newman. Yeah, Gary Newman. Uh, he talked a little bit about this with his career. And saying that there was a point where he had to like reassociate uh, himself with music in a way that felt more like um, a hobby, you know, where the work yeah. would be made when it was willing to be made and not chasing after the trend that was going on or being competitive with other people, but doing whatever felt good and then just sort of letting that be what it would be. And, um, I literally have talked about that a lot in this podcast and in general to people that there's a huge difference between hobby game dev and commercial game dev. Right. And um, I believe you can kind of bridge the gap um, because that's really what I do. Like I, I'll work on my own projects. If I'm not doing that, then I'll be doing a little bit of work for somebody else somewhere. Um, and if I don't really feel like doing either of those, I have spent uh, so much time working in uh, service industry jobs that I'm not squeamish about going back into those. Um, and like it, that's it could be a hard pill to swallow, you know, if you work years and years and you've worked so hard on this, and then one day you realize, oh God, I have to work as a uh, barista at Starbucks, and you start beating yourself up for it. And I think that's really, um, I don't know, I think that's kind of sad because I mean. You can't always be creative. That ground can't always be fertile. And the idea that you have a job that isn't related to the work that you've worked hard for is a bummer. But uh, it's not a disgrace by any measure of the word ever, I don't think. Um, I know people who are in bands who they were huge hits at one point. And now they just kind of play in their own community and they're very fine with that um you know like they, some of them have taken on different jobs managing a, a factory somewhere but they still go out and they make their music they have never really retired they've just taken it on at a different term for right now 
And uh, then when they have a revival, you know, and someone's like, oh, hey, remember that band? And they get big again, then they go on tour. I think that's great. Yeah, I definitely don't think that's the norm, though. Like, I really do think people, for their own sanity, until they know themselves, until they have a lot of experience, like, you've had a lot of experience. Yeah. Uh, You're not a college student coming out of the industry. A lot of college students think that they want to just, like, go from college straight into AAA games. Like, Mm, no, they're not aware that there's this whole world of, like, the gambling industry, the mobile game industry. Yes. Uh, and like, if they want to break into the industri- industry, like, how do they get in with like coming these small companies like Benji or like us? Like, that's very true. Want- yeah, because they don't know how to like ask their friends to help them make a game when their friends don't have any skill. Like, their friends and family doesn't have skills. They barely have any skills. How are they supposed to make a commercial? Game? You know. So a lot of yeah. like these younger developers have this like, uh, you know. So I tell them, I was like, you need to pick a side. Like, do you want to do AAA or do you want to do like indie? Uh, and if you want to do indie, like what facet of indie do you want to do? Because either way, you're probably going to have to eventually specialize in something and then branch out from there. But mm-hmm. like you, um, but when you're first getting in the industry, you don't know if you should do hobby or game dev. So I tell people that they should choose a side <laughs> and uh, stick with it. <laughs> okay. Usually, yeah. yeah. But you're di- you're different because you came into the industry when it was a very different industry. Yeah, yeah, and that's very true. And I need to be more aware of that uh, going forward. Um, you know, it's changed so much. Uh, back in the day when I really came in, um, we were really cheering people on who were getting their games put out on boxes in the ten dollar bin at, um, you know, at the at, at like Office Depot. You know, I saw a box copy of Aquaria, and I was like, oh my god, wow! One of us finally, finally made it. And um, then going to a point where now I see friends who have, uh, you know, like merchandise that's been stocked in Target for the past like six years. And um, I'm like, wow, this is a very different animal that this has become. And it's not the one that I, I was in when I arrived. So it would do me good to pay attention to that a little bit more. Well, again, that's the beauty of like you being mostly hobby is like you don't have to. Um you know, but if you want to, you have probably enough friends in the industry still that you can ask them like, hey, yeah, you know, a viable option for me. I'm kind of the Kevin Bacon of the video game industry. Somehow everyone is like six degrees away from me, even though I'm not that prolific. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how, but yeah, I have a lot of friends at big industries and stuff like that. And um, it's like they come to me on their metaphorical smoke breaks and go like, oh, man, this place, I, I love it. But Wow. And I'm like, wow, okay, I'm, um, you know, I, I don't have to deal with that. And that part I'm glad for, but then, you know, rent comes along and I'm like, oh, you know, money would be nice. So <laughs> it's a mixed bag, but I like it. Yeah, I I'm mean, actually- I, I, I think that um, what you were saying about like the, the everyone kind of being connected, like I know that like when you're on the outside, the world of like being a game developer in the industry seems like, oh, like this monolithic, how am I ever going to break in? But it's like, it's remarkably easy and kind of everyone yeah. knows everyone. Yeah. Um, I think people skills was one of the most um, like powerful things that I've learned. Um, when I was younger, I had awful social anxiety. There'd be no way that I could do what I'm doing right now, even this podcast. Um, 
And I like manually made myself learn how to get more comfortable in uh, social situations. And at that point in time, I had no idea that I was going to make a career out of uh, or hobby with benefits, whatever you want to call it, out of this. Um, I just knew that I wanted to get better at socializing. And so I did. And, um, you know, I'm still not a great coder. I'm still, a, you know, OK artist. It's really been my ability to just like talk with people and be comfortable with myself and uh, with them in uh, these situations that has really opened like so many doors for me. And um, so really when I talk to people who say they want to get into like a uh, industry or something like that, I, I really say, you know, the better your social skills are, the better, the more comfortable you are in yourself, uh, the more doors will open because people will want to know more about you, you know, and they'll want to have you around and you deserve to be one to have to be around. So. Well, Ted and I are 100% that philosophy, too. We're both like yeah. go-getters. We both have, like, good communication skills. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, the, the best thing about working at DreadXP is that whenever there's a problem, within two days, there's no more problem. Like, it gets solved. Like, we don't right. sit around and wait for things to, you know, to, you know, get better on their own. Like, we actually proactively get it done. And then we're already moving on to the next thing. We just, like, forget about it because it's not a big deal. Nice. Yeah, I've kind of noticed that a little bit in my time here, my tenure with uh, DreadXP. It's been nice. Contribution uh, to the, because I'm nowhere near as uh, um, productive as Ted and Star. So my role is that I absorb their uh, their lack of productivity into my own body. Nice. I'm like I'm like the sin eater, Just and then. So- <laughs> <laughs> just soak it I in it. and then yes and then at the end of the day i stick a big syringe into my neck and extract this black ichor and i okay keep it in i just have dozens of jars of this stuff around the house i don't know what to do with it nobody will buy it we gotta hang out you sound good okay. <laughs> i try uh but that's my that's that's my real contribution i absorb all the psychic uh uh negative energy from the rest of like, the rest <laughs> community <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's why I keep him around. He uh, sucks up all my negativity. Before him, I was I was just a hate beast, but uh, I had to be my, my happy, cheerful self. Uh, you know, every now and again, I can catch myself really just, um, you know, being like not foul, but just salty, salty, salty. I mean, especially on social media, I, I use uh, Twitter a whole lot, and. Um, you know, every now and again, I'll catch myself just snarking for no good reason. I'm like, man, you know, wash it off. And I have to tell myself that it's like I have to be my own dad. It's like, no, son. And um, it's hard to do. Well, the thing hard that people do. don't realize is that positivity is work. Like, um, It is. Yeah. It is. The, the, the natural reaction to like that humans have to seeing things like not getting the things that they want is like disappointment and then to see other people get the things that they want like is is like jealousy and anger so it's like you know with this like i was mentioned earlier phasmophobia probably has sold 17 billion copies on steam at this point for this Mm -hmm. little indie uh multiplayer horror game and i I think like my initial reaction was like fuck like how do we get those fifty thousand? you know because like I think it's probably sold half a million copies by now in like 12 okay. days. Oh, yeah. I can do that, Ted. I know. I know, Star, you're amazing <laughs> and, uh, and you're wonderful and we all love you. I'm just saying Yay. that um, 
like obviously like I look at it I'm like fuck like why isn't that my game but like you can't let yourself well you can't let yourself live like that and so like no. you know, I, I know I, I constantly come off as like perpetually peppy to like everyone that I talk to like that I work with but like it's work to do that like you have to like reprogram your brain to like catch yourself and actively think more positively like people think that like bubbly happy people are just I'm just made that way like no they were trained to be that way like all humans have the same kind of impulses um we just like we're just trained in different ways how to deal with them and the older that you get the, the harder it is to look at your behaviors as like oh this is a thing that I do because of how I was programmed let's try to deprogram that and fix it and you know it's it's hard work because you're like I inside feel differently but you don't realize that your inside feelings are like just as 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 programmed as everything else about you and you're just like oh if I start acting happier I will be happier there's like the exercise that they tell kids it's like just try smiling for 10 minutes a day and like it actually works like that's like like one of the core tenets of like um like recovery programs like AA and stuff which I know I talk about too much but like the whole thing is like hey you got to act like you're a good person in order to become a good person like like we're we're no one's actually expecting the the, the alcoholics and junkies that like walk into the program which you know I can I can say that's a my people word but uh you know no one's expecting them to be like saints but one of the reasons that they so push like community service and and you know like good works is that like when you do it for long enough, you become someone that enjoys that, and then when you're someone that enjoys that, like oh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm I'm like finding satisfaction in the small things, and oh, all of a sudden, oops, I accidentally became a good person. Like it's like that's how it works. That's actually yeah, you, you touched on a whole bunch of stuff right there that um, rings a lot with me. I mean, I try and put out a lot of stuff about um, like try and take care of yourself, recognizing when you're not feeling good um handling yourself um recognizing the fact that you don't always do good sometimes you you're a bad person and uh, how to like uh sort of like relearn why you had become that kind of person i know uh, a couple years ago um like without getting into too big of detail i got really sloppy i was really a hot mess and really hard to be around and um frankly i was just toxic and I realized I really didn't want to be that. I was like, well, I thought I was this really nice guy. And um, I, it took a lot of work to really realize, well, obviously you want to be this nice guy because you're pretending to be him. Um, now, like, why, where, where are you stumbling? And it um, took a lot of work to really realize that it was that I learned these, like, hacks to get the results I wanted while not really doing the thing that should be done to get what I wanted. It was like when every when every problem like when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem begins to look like a nail. Yeah. It was very much that feeling. And uh I was like, okay. So thankfully I've I've realized I'm not a sociopath, but I do need to work. And I had to like retrain myself on like how to even um, process, you know, extreme feelings, sadness, anger, things like that, how to like have them without becoming a manifestation of them. Yes. If you will. Yes. And like embodiment of my sadness, you know, yeah. and uh, I'm still relearning that every day. I'm still relearning that. So I think that's yeah. a great like failure uh, for women. It's uh, you have to be pretty. You have to be nice. Like that's what mm. men it's like you have to not have emotions you're not allowed to 
you yes. have to stuff it all down and not deal with things. And so like, again, like what, that's why it's called a program is because it's not something that was in our control. It was something that we were told. Like I was told that I needed to marry a rich man. Okay. <laughs> and so I can so marry a rich man. Like literally. <laughs> like that was the thing you were born for is uh, being married yeah. to somebody rich. Oh my goodness Absolutely. gracious. Yeah. I was what like, a... it's, it's uh, the boomer mentality. The what you need mm. a house, you need a car. You need to have, you know, bigger house, yep. bigger car. You need to have a fancy job. You need to go to college. Like all of these things, like we don't actually need no. uh, external. Like we don't you, worry enough about our internal life. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's hard. And um, it's good to see not only that, like, we're really looking at it. But what I've been noticing a lot is, like, kids in their, like, late teens and early 20s are taking this stuff on. Stuff that I didn't think of until I was like 25. And like it it gives me goosebumps like to think about just how much these guys are taking on. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, you know like, why? Because of social media. People want, yeah. to, want to shit on social media a lot, but there is a huge positive side to social media. There really. Is. Yeah, there really is. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's like I was just about to say you wouldn't like Dread XP wouldn't be a thing without social media. Like you couldn't work with us without social media. Like me and Ted would have no idea where to find developers if there wasn't social media. Mm -hmm. you know, that's how we find you guys. Uh, and you know that's how people share information is is through that. Like they're not going to share that kind of information through email. <laughs> no, no. I mean, they email people. Go. Have you heard of this guy? You know, have you heard of this person? No, it doesn't work quite like that. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's been really neat to see people just like recognizing like yeah, being alive is a big wet mess. You know, that's part of being alive. Uh <laughs> the screaming slip and slide. Um and like seeing these kids, uh I don't mean to say kids, but like just these people who are just about to be inherited this uh antique hand grenade with a pin dangling out that we've been playing hot potato from one generation to the other for like you know almost a century now and like mm -hmm. all we can do is wait till we're 50 to pass it off to the next one and go good luck and they're not doing that they're taking it and they're trying to figure out how to put the freaking pin back in and that's yeah. amazing it's funny because like abraham lincoln talked about that like abraham lincoln was like you know why i have to do why I have to deal with the Civil War is because all the other founding fathers just decided to say, pass it on. So the yeah. idea of slavery, the idea of all of that was like shoved onto Abraham Lincoln until yeah. he was forced to deal with it. And like he dealt with it in the way that history was favorable towards. <laughs> so he was lucky in that way. Uh, you know, that history was favorable to him. But like, there's all these other presidents that we don't talk about, but we do talk about him because he had to deal with, and he even said that he's like, I don't want to have to deal with slavery. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big headache. This sucks. I don't want to do a civil war. I, you know. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that like dismantling institutions of racial oppression, like takes time and it's like a lot of work and like it's messy <laughs> and people don't like to do it, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. Just throw it out there. Even yeah, our, school system, it's... our literally our school system is based off of his time period, the 1850s, you know, yeah. like, so like if our, our school system is 200 years old and needs to be reformed. And like, basically, <clears throat> he was a standard. But like you said, like now it's time that we need to redo it. <laughs> 
Uh, can you excuse me a second? I'm going to go get a drink. My mouth is dry, so yeah, I'll be right back, fine. okay? I'm going to go on mute, and I'll be right back in a sec, okay? All right. I'm going to pee again real quick because I drank, like, six coffees, so I need to pee again. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Right back. Go make a pizza real quick. I'll be right back. <laughs> beds in the bathroom. Uh, yeah, so I'm just uh, doing uh, art for the showcase. Like, well, not actual art. I do basically, I went to art school, so I know enough about art to, to do it concept-wise. To, okay. To, to, you know, basically get the message across, and then I give it to real artists <laughs> and have them make it look pretty. I am actually working on art right now, too, but I don't think I'm ready to share it. Plus, it would be spoilery, so... Nah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, we'll just have to go on the honor system. What? Well, this whole, this whole podcast yeah. is the... <laughs> What's going on? I, I'm working on art, and uh, I, I was debating on showing it, but I think it might be a little bit too spoilery. So I'm going to keep it off the screen. Okay. I, I was just thinking about what you were talking about with social media. And then I started thinking about like shows based on social media and like what would be on what network. I can imagine like, like anti-social media, like that would be like the Hulu show. The Netflix Ooh. show would be like social media, like idiot with social media. It would be like something like the social dilemma that they just recently came out with. Like just different titles. Brocial media would be the prank show that's on YouTube. Ooh. Our get smarter, but we get dumber. Whoa. Whoa, that's so oh my god. Did you just come up with that? Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> copy yeah. it, print it. Uh we I there was something profound that I said a while ago that was like we want flawed fictional characters, but flawless real characters. It was about, you know, all our culture of you know, the problems that people have with everything. It's like everyone's got problems, but you know, we the only place that we like if the Joker was a real person, right? Like everyone would be like condemning him, or he'd be the president. <laughs> There's only two sides to that. Absolutely, yeah. We he, want the interesting, dramatic characters, uh, but when it's like Jeffrey Star, who's like real life, then they're like, no, we don't. You know. Yeah, exactly. you're canceled. Ozymandias is canceled, bro. Um, yeah. But I also think about like you know we were talking about this last time with like a SS Sniper Wolf and things like that. Um, like this person can have like 22 million YouTube subscribers and they probably make a lot of money off of YouTube. Like they probably are doing really well, but like, Wait, who, what? Just don't even worry about it. We're not, we're not, okay. we're, we're not retreading that path, but uh, all right. All right. I, I sounds like somebody who I just don't have any interest in. So, <laughs> well, there's been, there's been a really, really hard time for people to break out of their like niche. Um, like, mm. like, yeah. like, so there was this guy I was, I was doing this press junket for a show that was on youtube red called fight of the fight of the dead fight of the living dead it was some kind of game show thing where they featured youtube stars there's this guy sure. who's like i have a prank channel it has like seven million subscribers and he's like i can't get any part in like anything else like he's like i can't get a part in like a regular show or anything like that i mean every oh. once in a while someone breaks that barrier like justin bieber started on youtube or mm. uh, the impractical jokers i think were originally on youtube but like most of these like personalities can't break the mold. And I think it's like partially because their brand is like so um, tailored towards like a very, very specific demographic. That's like kind of oh. harder to market. Like, oh, no, okay. Like, like it's yeah. I, what I, I was like, yep, that's true. Like they, they basically, I don't know when people first make content, they're like, I'm going to do this content because I know people are going to love this. And it's usually something very negative and very bad. 
uh, and so they grew this like toxic community. They make a bunch of money and they get used to it. They're like, well, this is my life now, right? But then they, the community is terrible. They get sick of their life. They lose money. I'm thinking about Rice Gum and like J- J- uh, Jake Paul. That's his name. Logan Paul, like all of those guys. At first, it was great. And they're very young. So when you're young, you're just like, yes, I just want money. I just want girls. I just want this lifestyle. This is exactly what I want. But they don't have any perspective. So they don't understand like why like it's toxic and why that's going to hurt them later on in life. And that I feel like that's something that is new to this generation because <laughs> nobody before this was able to be this young, like this famous and this young. Does that make sense? Like in 1800s, there was famous people like Albert Einstein, but they're all old. Like yeah. all the famous people were really old. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Like millionaires at 19. The, 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 the uh, plight of the child star, it's like the Dakota Fannings yeah. and the uh, Macaulay Culkins, is that like, or the Leonardo DiCaprio's, is like they usually turn out to be sometimes they burn out sometimes they get super successful and sometimes they normalize um like macaulay culkin now just like runs a podcast and he's kind of a chill dude but he worked at subway for like seven years mm-hmm. yeah um and i think that goes back to the thing i was talking about where like it it is okay to kind of do a flip where like you you, you know are wildly popular for a little bit and then you're not popular at all for a while and it's like you know well, and it's yeah. never it's never too late to do a rebranding unless you're like what's his, what's his, who's the guy the guy that did all the bad stuff um, Harvey Weinstein like there's no real comeback oh. for him no but like no. you know the guy that uh, who's the guy that did Hacksaw Ridge Jesse you know who I'm talking about I do not um, Mel Gibson there we go uh, he was a Hacksaw Ridge guy Mel Gibson yeah he he produced direct I don't know if he directed but it was his film. Um, like Mel Gibson, like called someone a racial slur, like several times drunkenly and very aggressively, and he was banned from Hollywood. And he just had to like say I'm sorry for like two years and like stop saying bad things. And then they let him back in. And uh, I mean, that's that's the thing is that like you could it doesn't really matter what you do, uh, you can rebrand yourself as long as it's not like I don't know sexual assault. Like don't do that in general though. Like don't mm-hmm. don't be doing that. Uh- I know Steve-O. You remember Steve-O, right? Yeah, he's a good example. Um, I've been very impressed at, like, how he's, like, both how he's recovered and also uh, what he's done. Because he still is just this firecracker of energy, you know. And you could tell that that doesn't shut off for him. And him being able to find new, um, better ways to use that energy um you know as he's gotten older it's been really impressive to me um i never thought that i would actually say that you know i i i have been impressed by steve l but i have been so yeah yeah i mean i think I was that i'm pretty um, impressed mm-hmm. by the fish hook thing that was pretty gnarly what fish hook <laughs> thing was that someone else i don't know what are you talking about yeah Jackass. yeah <laughs> Uh, they they put a big fish hook through his like cheek. Oh, oh god! Just hopped in the no. water. Jesse, yeah, it, it was pretty insane. Nope. Yeah, but yeah, his recovery is good too. I mean, it's there's a huge <laughs> difference between an apology and like you know changing your actions. Um, my mom works for a uh, uh, genocide studies program, and like one of the you know she she tells me that one of the most amazing speakers they've had is like. Uh, torture from Abu Ghraib but you know he 
he's worked his whole life since to make amends for that. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah, I behold, it's a very strange thing, you know, like it goes back to the whole thing where I said, you know, good people are capable of horrible things and horrible people are capable of good things. Um, it's where you, um, really confront the fact that you have done some serious damage and there's no, um, there's nothing to blame for it other than your choice to do it. And there's nothing to do other than recognize the damage that you've done. And then from that, trying to figure out what would be the um, best thing to do next to um, make the world something that you weren't making the world before that, you know, that revelation that you had. I'm kind so. of, my like philosophy now is that like good guys and bad guys is something that's Hollywood and made for TV because it's it tells a story in a nice neat little bow but like real life like what Ted was saying earlier like people don't actually want that in real life and so in real life there isn't actually good or bad people it's just decisions that we make that affect others like mm -hmm. there's the most horrible human you can think of right now and they, somebody out there, like, they're nice to somebody out there. Like, they'll be super pleasant to them. And that's why, like, some people, like, you might like them, but the other people might, like, hate them because they might have done something bad to them. So I don't really think that there is inherently good or bad people. I think it's all, like, choices that we make every single day, so whether we educate ourselves. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's really what you decide to do, what energy you add down and how you uh, choose to act on that energy. But Star, what, um, what about Hitler? He what chose about Hitler, no, Star? He chose to act like that, you know? Like, Hitler wasn't, like... <laughs> no, I'm imagining... Hitler, like, uh, at five years bunker. old, like, I'm going to take over the world at five years old. <laughs> no, in that bunker, he did his best to make amends. Now I imagine uh, you, <laughs> you you climb up the stairs of High Hrothgar, and the, the, the you calm the storms with your dragon shout, and atop the perch is 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 a giant dragon with a little mustache, and he's like <laughs> Zeke Heil, and you're like, oh my god, it's you. He's like, which is better, to be born good or to overcome your evil nature through great effort? And you're like, but Hitler? And they're like, we're going real bold with this one, Skyrim <laughs> political edition. Uh, I am I am over here working on Photoshop. <laughs> and uh, uh, letting you guys do whatever that is you're doing over there. I, I think that um, you know, you, you, there's a Hitler skin for the dragons. I'm gonna have to do some research. I mean, that would be great if it's just his speeches playing as the dragons are flying overhead. No, no, the dragon no. shouts. Nope, <laughs> nope. I mean, his his speeches sound like dragon shouts. Have you ever heard him speak? So, like, okay, so I have a, my best friend, basically my brother, growing up. Uh, let me. I promise this 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 story is going good places. Uh, his dad is like, uh, I. I don't even know how to describe it because like before there were like proud boys and like modern Nazis that were just history buffs that were like weirdly into it. You know what I mean? Like everyone has that like knows that grandpa or someone that like just has a little bit too much World War II memorabilia. And like I remember the moment that I realized his dad was one of those guys and he'll laugh if he's listening to this because his dad owns Hitler's speeches on vinyl. Ooh. Right. Okay. I mean, and like, I can understand that in like a museum or like a hardcore, hardcore collector um, that like, just like some people are really into collecting stuff. 
but like yeah but yeah like once you get like a theme and it's like oh yeah i like that period between world war one and world war two germany yeah like come on yeah yeah it's like it's so it's just so uncomfortable um and it's it's it's, it's what Oh, it, it just reminded me of a story, but I want to hear the rest of this. So, no, you go on. No, I mean, that's kind of the long that, and the, the short of it is like, you know, uh, mm. like you you can, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of military history. The dude was in the Navy, so whatever. I guess he's mm. a fan of military history. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I really liked the uh, the German efficiency of their tank building systems. Like, all right, I guess you're super into tanks. And then you, I oh, I and I own his speeches. It's like, well, that's weird. Like, but you know, we got to know history. I mean, I've I've read Mein Kampf. I've I've heard the speeches. It didn't like you know proselytize me, but like you know, it was something that I believe that if you're going to be against an ideology, you should at least know what the ideology is. You know. Yes. Um. Yeah. And then, but then, if you like, if I had like a special collector's edition of Mein Kampf and I like hunt down the signed one, then I that would be that would like people would be reasonable to be skeptical of my motivations at that point. Yeah, it was like this time that uh, me and a friend were out just going around and we saw this really beautiful old um, World War II motorcycle and um, we saw it was like beautifully painstakingly maintained and we got close we're just kind of ooing and eyeing over it and we're like oh wow this is a German one wow 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 and looking around more and more and, um, and then we got around to the back and the um, license plate said something to the effect of like ah88 mm-hmm. and i'm like oh okay yeah time to go and yeah we we're just like yeah no this guy isn't just a history buff and uh <laughs> yeah i don't even know just kind of... <laughs> oh it's um hitler. it's his initials and oh! uh, a8 is um how hitler okay yeah. So. Yeah, i purposely have not like i know what his swastika is there's all this like other like different kinds of swastikas and symbology and stuff like that and like i just wouldn't recognize it if i saw it yeah it's yeah. like the, the like the 1488 like you wouldn't know that that's like a hate thing until like you're really inundated in it and, and, and honestly star you're better off for not knowing like <laughs> yeah i mean you know that's that's why it's called a dog whistle because the majority of people don't you know when they see 1488 they're like oh that's columbus sailed the ocean blue um but four years know. later yeah yeah. <laughs> in fourteen hundred and ninety two, um, Columbus did sail the ocean blue. Yeah, you know what really kinda held a mirror to me is um I was in a relationship with somebody who had a family from Lithuania and um like the only grandparent she had from that was her grandfather and everyone else was uh murdered. And it was like I never one knew anyone who had a grandparent get murdered and two you know for that reason and um at that point in time i still thought that it'd be fun not fun but like it was okay uh to make like jokes in poor taste regarding you know nazi humor and things like that obviously not in support but just for the sake of dark humor yeah, we were all young ones and it was that it's moment like, yeah, that i was like I- this is not something I can joke about anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was the, the moment. I was like, hmm, yeah, I need to really rethink how I'm handling this. Well, we all so, have a moment where, uh, like, we reach a level of realization and maturity because there's a difference between, like, knowing something exists and, like, internalizing it. Like, I actually remember when I was, like, 19, maybe 20, I was in a movie theater 
and they had this like intro. Oh, I must have been twenty because I was in my third apartment. Um, but uh, they had this intro that had this like it was a mentally disabled people coming on the screen and talking about the challenges they face. It was like one of those like pre uh, previews thing that they show at the screen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, like I had this moment where I was like, man, these people like struggle harder than I will ever struggle in my life. And I was like, yeah. oh shit, like I should probably not make fun of like mentally disabled people. And I was like, oh, and like that was like yeah. an internal yeah. thing. I was like, oh shit, like yeah, right. It's like yeah. nobody holds a mirror up to you. You hold it up to yourself, and you go like, ooh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to say that that definitely is like more of a male thing than because like growing up, like there was no like there's no women around me, absolutely no women, no girls in my classroom that had like quote unquote dark humor. The closest thing to dark humor I saw from a female was Daria. <laughs> oh, really? So on huh. TV, yeah. I was like, wow, she's really different. Like, she's, like, really sardonic, really sarcastic. Like, there was really nobody else in media and TV that was, like, like her. And so mm. all my female teachers, my mom, everyone else, like, women were just there to be pretty and nice. And so that's this is definitely not uh, just, like, a young person thing. This is definitely specifically... Uh, and I think a lot of it comes from the comedians that we used to watch, you know, and I feel like people took comedians like way too seriously, uh, like joking, like way too seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We really looked up to cynical humor so much that it like kind of became a blueprint in a way that we didn't really think it was going to, well, you know? Uh, yeah. I, two things real quick. Um, first off is like, there's, there's definitely a, societal mechanic of like uh like the jockeying for superiority that like young men do and young women do it as well and and even older ones like i mean donald trump is still trying to prove he has the biggest dick in the room despite that being physically impossible but uh you know it's it's like basically everyone is is trying to prove that they're like top dog and um because we no longer swing axes into each other's faces to steal their their grains like basically <laughs> Like the way that we that a lot of young men specifically jockey for position of of power in their social group is is to be unflappable, unfazable, this manly stoic figure. And the way that you do mm -hmm. that is by not letting things offend you and not letting them get to you. And the way that you prove that they don't offend you and they don't get to you is you say increasingly deranged shit. Um, you know, and there's always this this uh, uh, what is it veneer of it's just a joke. Um, yes. But yeah. the, the longer you go into that, the more you realize it's 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 literally the exact inverse of what we were talking about earlier, which is like in order to be a happier person, you have to be happier. You can't make those jokes forever and like not have it affect you um, unless you're yeah. like Anthony Jeselnik, who like Anthony Jeselnik, his stage performance is one thing. But off stage, he's a completely different person. Like he has personal yeah. life. That's very, very different. Um, same with Bill Cosby. Turns out he was making a show and then doing all these rapes. And that's a bad thing. But like, you know, you can't. Like, basically, you, you have to live your life in a manner that is uh, conducive to how you want to feel on the inside. And, yeah. um, like, and then the, the two, the, the, it will follow. So, like, basically, the longer that you go being, like, like, I realized actually relatively recently um, that I don't listen to enough, like, female takes on video games. Like, I realized that basically everyone that I was subscribed to um, on YouTube or whatever was like a man. And I was like, oh shit, like I hadn't even realized it. Like, it's not that I'm like actively sexist or anything. It's just like the way that I was living my life was exposing me to certain viewpoints and you have to like actively challenge your viewpoints. So yeah. Yeah. And um, like, it's just an important thing to, to do. 
Um, and I will also say that, like, you know, Star, when you were saying that, like, you know, we didn't have this dark humor, this this jockeying for power, like, you know, when I when I mentioned the, the mentally disabled people, like, it's not always uh, a directly antagonistic situation or, like, something that's negative. Um, yeah. Like, I... I I, I um I, I like grew up in a liberal household. You know, gay people were a fact of life that was taught to me very young. Um, I'm not gay myself, so I didn't have to have that conversation with my parents. But they exposed me to the fact that there's many different you know sexualities and uh, I mean it, it was what this is like 30 years ago, so or 20 years ago that they're teaching me about this. So you know we didn't really have the genders conversation. That's something that I kind of was more exposed to in college. But like I remember like knowing that they, like gay people existed, and then like there was just like a moment of exposure where I like, I worked out uh, at this gym with my dad and one of the guys that worked out there also uh, that we talked to pretty frequently was gay. And um, like, I remember like kind of the day that it struck me that he had a different style of life to me. And I was like probably 13. So like, I was just like, it's when your brain starts becoming aware of the world. Yeah. I was in the gym at 13. That's the kind of household I grew up in, by the way. Um, <laughs> But, like, you know, uh, when your brain just, like, kind of switches and you're like, oh, shit, this is real. Like, you know, there's, like, moments that, like, your brain kind of wakes up and, like, it's, like, those moments of maturity. And I was like, oh, shit, like, this guy, like, lives a different lifestyle than I do. And that's totally valid and it's okay. But, like, it was just, like, instead of just being aware that it exists, becoming actively conscious of it is, is different. And it, it like, mm -hmm. it, it changed yeah. what I consider in my life, like, how I consider my worldview. Um, and that was important and it doesn't necessarily have to be negative. So like growth, we, we tend to view growth, especially in the social media sense of attacking someone for believing something wrong and then them fixing it. But growth can also be just like a positive, natural thing. And it doesn't always have to be antagonistic. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can just suddenly have a moment happen where you, um, it, it, it gives you pause to really think about like, you know, like, you know, Hmm, am I off track on that? Yeah. And, um, it's, it, and this is a hard thing to learn. They never really teach anybody how to, well, like I, I didn't really ever learn how to uh, do that. And um, yeah. Oops. Sorry about that. Oh, I thought that ding came through on the uh, microphone. Mm -mm, no, it's all good. Okay, cool. Anyway. Um, yeah. I guess I was just kind of affirming that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so what else was I going to say? I can't remember. I do want to know uh, about this game you made. Beta Gree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, well, I, I, unless we, we have more politics that we want to talk about, but uh, I think we should probably <laughs> at some point talk about the actual video game. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, well, what do you want to know? Uh, so, like, you know, tell, tell us about your game. I mean, I've, well, I've uh, played it, but, you know. Beta Gree is an uh, isometric horror adventure game where you um, – help out this night manager at a hotel. Her name is Pom. Uh, she's very sweet, affable person who likes her job. And uh, you basically go around and uh, you do mini games trying to maintain little pieces of the uh, hotel, like getting uh, broken bedding machines to restart or cleaning up uh, a little bit of a spot after like uh, maybe housekeeping didn't clean a mirror. So you have to clean a mirror or a desk. Um, and all the while, um, there's strange things kind of happening in the hotel. Um, every now and again, you might see markings for like uh, some kind of religious group here and there. Um, the the questions you have really don't have any kind of answers, but they don't really get in your way while you play. 
And uh, as you go along, uh, you begin finding your answers rather quickly. And uh, when you do, then uh, the gameplay loop doesn't change, but your dynamic, your relationship um, as an audience member and as a uh, character inhabiting the world changes. And uh, suddenly you have a, a new task at hand. And, um, and you finish out the night. And uh, depending on your performance, you have one of two different outcomes, which are both really cool. And uh, it was just meant to be a relaxed kind of chill out game where, um, you know, there's not a lot of high speed reflexes and like extreme motor skills. I wanted to try making a game that was for people who um, don't really aren't what you'd call a hardcore game player. You know, mm -hmm. somebody who just likes playing games every now and again and just wants something to chill out with. I think that there's, um, I wanted to challenge myself with that because I haven't really done one of those in a long time. I love that. Because, like, uh, one of the biggest goals for the company, um, a lot of developers want to make games either really easy or more common, really difficult. There's something about a lot of game devs that love to make really challenging games. Mm -hmm. And but the and they also look down on like quote unquote casual players or like that's not a real game that sort of thing yeah and so i i've had to like push quite a few developers in our collections and outside of our collections just in general in the industry to be like it's okay if you make a game like that kids can enjoy too under like yeah. as a kid like it was really challenging and i was like yes but that doesn't make it a better design game Exactly. Um, it's funny. I, um, I'm i a huge, huge Doom junkie. So uh, when Doom Eternal came out, I was very excited. And I went to play it, and it mopped the floor with me. And um, I got done. I uh, wiped the sweat off my face. And I went, you know what? I'm playing this on easy mode. And I didn't have any shame in it whatsoever. Like, I didn't feel like I was somehow, like, less of a quote-unquote gamer or not good at video games. Um, it, it, I wanted to enjoy the game. And I was given an option that made it so it wasn't like trying to climb a 90-degree wall. And, um, and I had a blast. And when I got done, I thought, okay, well, I took that on. How about I play it a little bit harder this time? Obviously, I'm going to want to go through it more than once. Um, and I think that's a good way to really look at your audience as to, you know, I mean, th there is room for games that are going to be masochistically hard. And I think that's fine. But uh, for all of them to be like that, like as a measure of quality, I don't think it's a measure of quality. I think it's just a, a way you can make your game if you. Well, so choose to people's lifestyles when you're a kid you all you did was like go to school not kids not kids nowadays have a bazillion activities but uh in the 80s and 90s like kids basically just went to school like they did some activities but it wasn't like today and so you had a lot more free time and energy to waste on like like i don't know 50 hours on a video game but now <laughs> you have a lot less so you need to like be looking at like not what the customer was like in the 90s you need to be looking at what the customer is like today in the 2020s which we're in now and people are very busy right now and they don't need uh a 50-hour game most of i them, do yeah sorry no, no i i um i do like that there are games where you can really just disappear into them 
you know, it's almost like a really like dense book where, um, you know, if you really want to, you can really dig in. And um, like, so like games that have grinding and things like that, I, I think are good. It's an interesting thing, though, because we have to find out what kind of game can we make now that the dynamic has changed? Um, recognizing that it's changed and then addressing it is, uh, it, it's an interesting challenge to see everybody taking on in different ways. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and it's good that I agree because <laughs> it's, I, I put it together. So good job. Yes. I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have any other questions about uh, Betagree? I, I always have more questions about Betagree. No, um, like really, really more like, so uh, I, I want you to talk a little bit more about like your visual art style, like how you go about, because like your games tend to have like a pretty wide variety in the style that you're going for. So like, how do you decide what the visuals are going to look like for a new project going into it? Um, that's actually a good question. I mean, like, yeah, like games like Gyozite and Alsabal and all of our friends are dead have this very scratchy kind of, um, Lovecraftian H.R. Giger-esque feel. And then I have games like, um, um, Will You, which is like just absolute candy floss. Um, I really just think about what sounds exciting to me and like, um, when indie horror really started getting big, um, it felt like almost like a relief to me because it's like, oh, I don't have to make scary games. Other people are making games that scare the crap out of me, so I can just sit back and play theirs and enjoy it. And really, I, I felt like I didn't have anything good to add to the conversation at that time. So I began trying to think about making things that are more family-friendly and sincere and, and sweet and... Um, you know, I was in a mindset that I could really do that very well. Um, and then when it came to working on Bay Degree, you know, and I, I signed up for this, I thought to myself, well, what do I want this game to look like? And um, one, I was already experimenting with isometric art a little bit. Um, and two, I mean, I, I knew that I was really starting to itch about making a new uh, horror game. And I was like, well, how can I make horror in a way that feels... Um, interesting to me and i i don't tune out instantly from the idea and so i started kind of combining concepts like things i've seen in fear um in with things like uh animal crossing almost you know this very sugary sweet late 80s early 90s anime look um combined with like things that you wonder if you saw and you wish you didn't if you did mm -hmm. um and so i began toying around with that a little bit and i'd show it to friends and people kind of in secret and go like what do you think of that and they're like yeah that bothers me mm -hmm. <laughs> and i was like okay all right I'm, I'm on the right page with this you know it's sweet but it's uh still leaves you uncomfortable with 
where you're at. Yeah, and I don't um, want to give too much about the game away because, you know, obvious spoilers and stuff. The game hasn't released mm. yet. But uh, I will say that, you know, like, you know, uh, having played the games in this collection now, I'm really, really excited for people to be able to get their hands on it because uh, not only your game, but all the games, because I think our submissions this time are really, really solid. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, it's been really cool. Um I'm really lucky to be one part of this and then two part of like this one in specific. I, I don't know. I just have a really good feeling about this one. So, um, yeah, I've been trying to give it full beans. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but I definitely think that, uh, sorry, I'm yawning cause it's, uh, I've been doing the QA all day, but, uh, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, wow. well, you know, it's, that's the thing is like, I, I've been. I, I tried to play all through all the games fresh, you know, like all of them at once. And um, sure, I'm really excited for people to be able to kind of get their hands on all this stuff. So you've uh, played through uh, the Build a Bay Degree that I uh, have sent out. Well, I don't. I don't want to talk about that at the moment because I haven't had a chance to give feedback oh. on it. So let's. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. And and yeah. plus, like I said, there's not a lot you can talk about in the game before you start getting into spoiler territory. So I'd rather kind of like keep it a little bit vague right now. Unless oh, Je- right. Je- Jesse, have you played through it? If not, not yet. Okay. Uh, well, Amon, have you played any of the other games yet? Um, I played a little bit of Bloods. Um, I've been meaning to play Corpse Piles. Um, I've been, like, really busy with some stuff on this side, outside of uh, the um, the work. Uh, so it's been a little bit hard for me to uh, sit down and um, – play through them but i keep looking at them and going okay i'm gonna play it tonight and then something happens and i'm not able to get around to it yet but uh yeah it's stuff that i really want to check out yeah a lot closer i was was a little worried that uh because of how good the second collection was um if this one would be able to uh stack up but i definitely think that um having played the game is like the variety is like it's a very like I always say this, but this collection is like so much different than the previous one, and like the style of the games that we're getting, and like the variety of what we have, it just really shows how much room there is to grow in indie horror. Because you know, like first game to the second game, no overlap in the styles, and then second to the third, no overlap in any of the games. So this is nice, this is really cool. Nice, yeah. I really wanted to capture, um, like I said, the early '80s um, anime look, and I was also checking out a lot of uh, PC '98 games. I don't know if you know what PC '98 is, yep. but it was a yeah. Um, they had a lot of like dating games on there, but the art was like it was it was remarkable. And um, I thought, you know, okay, I've always been kind of okay at pixel art, but considering I have the time and I don't really have to worry about animation super hard on this. How about I really, really make myself sweat? So, like, this whole project, I've literally been having, like, a tape of Ranma one half playing on the other screen while I work. And I'll stop and I'll look over and go, like, oh, okay, they did that for that, they did that for that. It's like trying to constructively uh, steal without being an absolute, you know like rip off but like really trying to grab the things that i feel would work best for this um mm-hmm. project that and um have you heard of liminal spaces yes yep okay yeah <laughs> i've been really silking that up a lot lately and going ooh, yeah that empty kind of feeling is really interesting to tinker with so it's a little bit of both of them wasn't there some kind of jam recently where liminal spaces was like the the theme of the jam I heard of that. Yeah, I 
can't remember what that was exactly, but I, it might yeah, even, it might have even been a haunted PS One jam. I'm not even sure. Yes, yeah, there's a haunted PS One jam. I know that for sure. I know someone's working on that. And speaking of uh, PC ninety eight, wasn't Snatchers a PC ninety eight game? The, yes, it was. Yeah, the, it certainly was. Hideo Kojima, his first game, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was one of his first ones. I don't know if it was his aunt. I don't know, but yeah, it was definitely one of his first ones. He, Holy shit, Hideo Kojima's almost 60. <laughs> yes. Life comes at you fast. Oh, that man never ages. Yeah, he's going to fall apart all at once, though. And we're going to find that it was just going to be like a flame whale piloting a baby this whole time. It's going to be like a baby inside his skin. <laughs> then once you zoom into the eye of the baby, you're going to see a skeleton. And that skeleton is going to be riding a flame whale. And that flame whale is going to actually be riding the skeleton because it's inverse expectations. Yeah, yeah. It was David Hayter all along. Jesse's sitting there like, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> I just believe Helio Kojima's David Hayter's alter ego. And yeah. uh, he hasn't let anyone know. So apparently Hideo Kojima's first game was Metal Gear, the original Metal Gear. And before that, he worked on a game called Penguin Adventure. Metal Gear. Penguin Adventure. Penguin Adventure. Yeah. Wow. Good one. It's a good it's one. really good. Yeah, it was good. I was, I was actually pretty, pretty impressed with that. Thank you, Carnal. Do you think that when he made Metal Gear Solid 2 Solid Snake, he knew that Solid Snake... Anyways, we should probably move on. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Metal Gear for another two hours. <laughs> Star, do you have any questions about Betagree, about video games? Uh, I just want to describe it to everybody. Yeah, it looks like uh, like what he said, late 80s, early 90s, Japanese culture. It is isometric. It is very, yeah, like old school. Um, I think that you put so much detail work into everything, into the hotel, into all this stuff. And I, I really, like, really encourage people, if anyone's listening right now, to like quote, like don't just like rush through the game, like kind of carefully look through things and kind of like appreciate the artistry that uh Amon has put into it oh you haven't seen nothing yet it's uh I've, I've done a little bit more since then but thank you thank you thank you um yeah there was actually a time where i was going to do a little tour around um a couple local hotels just like the cheap little like uh hotels that people you know like stay at for business and stuff like that things that have been around forever and uh get photos of them and stuff like that but uh, unfortunately, that didn't that didn't pan out. But the uh, hotel people were super cool about it. Like I, I like the whole day, I'd call up and go like, "Hey, uh, this is kind of a weird request, but hear me out." And I'd explain the situation. And go, can I take a few photos of empty rooms in your lobby and blah blah blah. And they go like, "Yeah, sure, come on in." So um, yeah, I mean, I have really tried to get that um, that look down, and I'm glad to hear that I've. Uh, Nailed it, apparently. Well, it, it's not just, it's, there, there's people out there that just make kind of games, you know, just to make games and just kind of like put things together because they think, oh, this is going to be popular or I think this funny or whatever. Like, yours feels like a handcrafted artisan. Oh. It's kind of gamed up, you know, there's like so much work and passion into the details and that sort of thing. So, um, it's a very different game dev than like what you see a lot of other people do with things that are like super high polished, you know, like, yeah, you're going in another direction. And I feel like just people should kind of appreciate that when they're getting into it. Yeah. This is like a big, dumb love letter to an era that 
is gone and I'm okay that it's gone. I don't really want to bring it back, but I do want to say like, man, you know, it was kind of cool. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that got, uh, communicated in my work. It makes me happy. Well, uh, I think that we are kind of approaching on the, uh, hour and a half mark here so we should probably wrap it up um but i will leave okay. everyone at home with this fact i was looking up hideo kojima's roles uh his voice acting roles he's been in a lot of his own games which is very hideo kojima. really it's very hideo kojima of him yeah uh, the one role that stands out to me is in metal gear solid 4 guns of the patriots he plays the role is credited as god parentheses himself which has like, <laughs> that tracks <laughs> Yeah, that's a very Hideo Kojima thing to do. Uh, that would brain. be... He would do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good. Anyways, wow. uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank it. you for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, well, I, I'm really looking forward to everyone being able to play your game. And uh, this was really great having this little conversation here. Uh, yeah. So if that's, that's it, I think we're just going to wrap up here. Um, okay. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Star, as always, thank you for joining. Jesse, thank you for... Uh, for being with us for this magical adventure. Thank you, Ammon, for joining in. Uh, and if you want to play DreadX Collection 3, it'll be coming out mid-October. Like I said, I'm not sure if we've uh, actually announced the specific date yet, but we'll have that soon. It's coming out very soon. We're just in the kind of the final stages of wrapping up, getting all the last final touches put on everything, the polish, everything kind of pulled together. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're almost good to go, so I'm really excited for everyone to be able to play it, everyone at home to be able to check it out. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want to see what else we've been up to, go ahead and check out the other episodes of Real Professional. You can always find out the newest news about the DreadX collection and all kinds of indie horror stuff on DreadXP.com. And, uh, you know, also, if you want to check out the other stuff we've done, are there, are there other games uh, on Steam? And uh, you can definitely check those out. Add it to your wish list if you don't have all $10 to spend on it right now, because we'll probably be having a sale close to the, the release of, you know, once we announce the release date for DreadX Collection 3. So definitely check that out. Anyways, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today, and I will see you next time. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. And cut. Okay. Uh, Colonel, I'm trying to sneak around, but I'm dummy thick, and the clap of my ass cheeks keeps alerting the guards. Snake, it's Anna. I have a warning just got a hot tip. Hatsune Miku is in the area. Snake, be careful. She could sneak up on you at any minute. She's a twin-tailed voice synthesizer and wolf. Oh, how you're gonna battle her. She has the power of a god. She actually created Minecraft. That means she's really smart. Be careful, Snake, whatever you do. Are you listening to me, Snake?